Welcome back to another edition of the Untitled Jeff Gluck Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Gluck, and today it's a post-race podcast edition for the Talladega Super Speedway race, which just wrapped up um, across the country over in Talladega, Alabama. I am obviously not there, and thus I am solo this weekend for the podcast. But I'm going to be taking some patron questions. I asked my patrons to submit some questions right after the race. Um, I was a best man in a wedding this weekend, so I was unable to attend the race. The wedding already happened, wasn't today, so I was able to park myself in front of the TV and watch. So uh, I saw a lot of the same things as you did, and obviously um, the race is just wrapped up. Um, so I haven't heard from what the drivers had to say with the quote sheets and their media center interviews and things like that yet. But I wanted to get a post-race podcast out as fast as possible. Um, so let's just roll right into some of your questions today about Joey Logano's win and we can work through the race that way and see what you guys thought of it. So let's, uh, let's start off with Russell Solberg and his, his first question was, um, why does Ford have better teamwork than Chevy? And honestly, I I think it comes down to this. I think the Fords are just faster. If you look back at recent years, the Fords had been dominating the plate races, um, up until this year's Daytona 500 when Austin Dillon won. But the Fords had won a bunch of plate races in a row, particularly Team Penske is really good at them. And then if you put Roush into that uh, with Ricky Stenhouse Jr. winning twice last year, the Stuart Haas cars are also really great um, plate racers. I think it, it, you know, so much of it at a plate track comes down to aero. And for whatever reason, that current Ford body style really, really seems to fit better. And they're just fast. So um, I know a lot of people, and there was even some questions um, that were submitted as well about why Chase Elliott wasn't getting help, um, you know, from teammates like Alex Bowman and Jimmy Johnson late there. I don't know if it's because they were damaged or they just weren't fast enough to, uh, fast enough to get up there. But to me, the Fords are just have so much speed that they're naturally going to be able to stick together, form a line together, and ultimately not make a pass together, which is what happened at the end there because they all have so much similar speed. Um, it's not like you can get a huge run on somebody. And so with Joey Logano having the lead there late, uh, it was going to take a lot uh, of teamwork from people behind them. And I just don't think the since, – since it was all Fords behind them, I don't know that there was a, a concentrated effort there to do that. So um, that's question number one. Um, Next, Matt Markland and Dave Sykes had a similar question. Matt Markland says, your opinion on the no ride height rule, now that it's been two races, the cars seem too much on edge. And Dave Sykes said, do you feel a no ride height rule affected the ability to get runs going? So I actually think, Matt, that this was actually the first race with the no ride height rule. I think they still let them do it the the old way for the Daytona 500, if I'm not mistaken. But... Um, yeah, I definitely think that played a huge, huge outcome in the race, and it's really completely changed plate racing from the last few years. Um, it's kind of a shame, honestly, because I feel like plate racing had gotten to, into a really good place where at least you were seeing a lot of side-by-side action going on. It, it was hard to pass, and remember the last few years there is when you'd see one guy get out front and he'd block one lane, he'd go back up to the top and block the other lane, and you'd sort of have a Pied Piper thing, and Keselowski was really good at that. And 
you know, um, I, I just don't think right now you can do that because they can't even run side by side. The cars are so on edge, as Matt said. They're so unstable. They're so sketchy. They're so loose. Um, as we saw in the 500, they they couldn't, uh, you know, they, they can't run like that. And, uh, you know, I think today and this weekend with them going so fast, they had to uh, change the restrictor plate to slow them down a little bit. Um, I just I just think that they, the, the drivers just don't feel comfortable doing it. And in such a long race, there's just really no incentive except late in a stage to try to do something. Um, and then, yeah, late late in the race, uh, you know, you, I, I don't think there was enough cars left, honestly, at that point. You needed enough energy, as they say, as the spotters say when they're talking about, okay, you know, energy's coming on the top. I don't think there was enough energy um, to form, to really form a line, to take a run at Logano on the outside or something. So as really, as long as Logano was going to be able to p- protect Nobody was going to be able to get around him unless they really had a good push from behind. And as Kurt Busch said in his TV interview afterwards, they were all trying to get whatever they could get. So, you know, Stenhouse is back there battling with Harvick and Elliott. He's not going to get up and push Kurt while he's trying to defend his position. So I just think that allowed Logano to basically sail to a win. And it is unfortunate, as I said, because I think that's taken away something that um, you know, it, it just wasn't the typical Talladega race. You know, they got too spread out. They were too single file. They were never really able to form those packs. There was one point where they were four wide, I think, after a restart. But it just it wasn't the typical Talladega race, I think. And hopefully they can um, hone this package a little bit and, and find something that gets closer to it. Let's move on to the next question now. It's Shannon McMinnie. And um, she's asking about TJ Majors. Does he have the magic sauce? I certainly think so. Um, obviously, Logano was already a really good restrictor plate racer. He's won at Talladega three times now. And out of his 19 career wins, three wins at one track is the most he's had anywhere. So he's, he's really good there. Um, and so obviously, TJ Majors has worked with two great drivers in Dale Jr. and Joey Logano to get many of those plate wins. However... TJ Majors, probably along with Keselowski's spotter, Joey Meyer, they're they're probably the two best plate spotters. I'm not sure I could put one over the other. They're both really, really good. And they, you know, you, you guys have all listened to them. They, they really understand how the runs work, and they're almost driving the car at times um, from the top. And, and um, you know, I know that TJ and Joey Logano have watched video together of plate races and Logano said to TJ, okay, now what would you say here? What, what would you be telling me here? You know, going into this season, they were, they were working on that kind of stuff. So they've put in a lot of work. They've put in a lot of hours, uh, getting to understand the terminology and Logano saying what he'd want to hear there. Um, what, what TJ should say. Let's move on to the next question though. And it's from Pat Richardson and she's saying, why, so many speeding penalties today. So obviously I think something that happens along with these uh, manufacturers working together is that they all try to come in at the same time under green so that they don't lose the draft. And a product of doing that is that it's really hard to slow down. It's really hard to get out of a pack under green with a bunch of other cars and slow down all at the same time without running into each other, uh, without running over each other. So I think that that's, something that's probably really difficult and they just, you know, it just happens. Um, I think if it, if there had been a, a few more cautions and they didn't have to pit under green, like they did a couple times a day, 
you wouldn't see that as much. I mean, you might still see some guys speeding, but um, it just wouldn't matter as much at all because you'd come out under caution, you'd still be with the whole pack. But there's a huge urgency to stay with the other cars because if you lose the draft, you're pretty much screwed. So they've got to come in all together. They've got to go out all together. You don't want to fall behind. You can't afford to go too slow and lose that pack, lose the draft. So I think that's just purely a product of green flag pit stops. Let's move on to our next question. It's from Vanessa Newton. And she says, I was watching the race and I had Twitter up at the same time. And I noticed tweets and retweets from you and others about frustrations with the broadcast. If you could talk a little bit about what you wish we saw from the broadcast and what those frustrations were. I'd be interested in hearing more about that, especially since I'm not the only one who watches 90% of the races through the TV broadcast and not at all at the track. Yes, so Vanessa, this was the first race all season long where I had watched uh, the entire thing from start to finish on TV. Uh, You know, I had to leave Martinsville ultimately early and wasn't able to stay after the rain out, but I was on a plane for much of that, so I'd watched the first part. And then for Bristol, I was at the Long Beach Grand Prix for the original um, scheduled portion of the race. I got to watch the end of the race at home after it was postponed. But this is the first one start to finish I'd gotten to watch the whole thing. And obviously I've watched races before on TV. And I think it what, what happens is I just forget how much the commercials are an annoyance. You know, at track I see you guys um, tweeting sometimes about how there's too much commercials. But the media, for instance, at the media center, they might show the broadcast, the Fox broadcast on TV. But then when they go to a commercial, they switch over to the ISM Vision feed, which, you know, the, the track feed, which used to be called Sprint Vision. They switch over to that. Then once commercial's over, they switch back to the TV feed. So we don't really have too much of a sense of the commercials bothering us. And we're looking at other things. We're looking at the live track feed. We're listening to the scanner. Um, or if we're up in the press box and can see it with our own eyes, obviously, um, you know, there's no commercials, right? You're, you're watching it in person yourself. So it's really eye-opening to me, like, how bad the commercials have gotten. I mean, you know, I know they've, they've always been a certain way and a certain percentage of the broadcast, but this just seemed particularly bad, especially when Talladega is so exciting. You have so much good racing going on, and, you know, even when there's packs um, of cars, they'd, they'd cut away. Uh, I think from my count, Fox today missed three, late, uh, three lead changes, and they also missed the first big one wreck while in commercial. Um, two of the lead changes, I believe, they did not ever even show a replay for afterwards. So it's it's really unfortunate. And just the, the overall percentage of the broadcast, just commercial after commercial, I think it's ridiculous because you're asking NASCAR fans, who are already somewhat of an endangered species these days, to spend their Sunday afternoon on a weekend sitting in front of the TV the weather's nice out in, in a lot of areas of the country. There's NBA playoffs on, things like that. Other things that could be even watching if they're not watching NASCAR. And, you know, you're showing commercial after commercial and just expecting that they'll still be there watching it. It, it, it just feels disrespectful to the core race fans. Um, and TV ratings have gone down and down and down. You would think that they would try to come up with some other way to present the broadcast, but instead it just feels like they're just trying to grab as much money as they can um, and put even more commercials in to make up for the lost revenue that they're they're probably not getting as much um, per commercial because the, the ratings are less, so they can't charge as much. And so it seems like they're taking it out on the remaining few viewers, which is just probably turning more viewers off. It's just really frustrating to me because 
I can't think of another sport where the action is interrupted like that. And it's particularly glaring this year because of the F1 broadcast on ESPN. You know, the F1, uh, they, they screwed up at the uh, start of the year on the first race of ESPN. And, um, you know, they, they are just, it's different because they're just taking the feed from Sky Sports um, in the UK. So they're not doing their own broadcast. And it's different because they're not paying a ton for rights fees like Fox is. They don't need to get a ton of money back. But um, after their, their uh, mishap in the first race of the year, ESPN apologized and said, we're going to run commercial-free F1 broadcasts for the, for the rest of the season. And so to have that often on the same day as NASCAR, where somebody can just sit there and watch it commercial-free, like a soccer game, except for halftime. You know, soccer games, uh, people pay a lot for the World Cup rights. And they don't cut to commercials because soccer fans would never put up with it. But for some reason, NASCAR fans have come to accept over time that, that commercials during the race is just a thing. And so it continues. And you've even seen NASCAR president Brent Dewar um, tweet to sponsors and advertisers and say, hey, you should get on board with the side-by-side thing because NASCAR certainly recognizes that this is a problem. Um, I don't think you can really blame NASCAR. I'm sure they've talked to Fox about it if they're if the president is tweeting about it. But um, I, I would just think that it's it's on the TV partners. They're just saying, nope, sorry, we got to make our money. This is what we're going to do. And I'm sure NASCAR knows it hurts the sport. I'm sure the executives realize it, and they're sort of powerless because it's really up to Fox, and it's really up to NBC when it's their portion of the season. So it's just it just it's always reminded me of if you went to go watch like a Broadway show, and in the middle of the show as the characters are speaking and acting out or singing their musical or whatever, they drop the curtain in the middle of the show and then the curtain picks back up and you resume at a part where you don't even understand what happened. You don't know what you missed and you might not be able to go back and see it. Um, people would get up and leave the show if that was the case. It would never work. But again, in NASCAR, for some reason, that's acceptable. Um, hopefully someday that will stop. Let's move on to... Paul Burkholz's question, and he says, to go with Vanessa's post, since you have the experience of both being at the track and watching on TV, how can the broadcast be improved to better represent the sport? Well, I think one thing is um, it's it's too cutesy at times, at least on Fox. Um, you know, I know some people do like the gridwalk. Personally, I don't. I think it, it sort of clowns up the show when um, these guys are about to get in a race car and people are supposed to take this seriously and danger and all stuff. And, you know, it's joking around and, and being silly. Um, I, I, I do get that you want to show personalities, but I don't know that that's the right time and that's the right format. It just comes off to me as, as cringeworthy. And I think if you have a new viewer um, trying to watch that, you know, they'd be like, well, what in the world is this? And the same goes for boogity, boogity, boogity and all that kind of gimmicky stuff, um, the silliness. I just, it just, I, I don't understand how you can get new fans that way. So, um, you know, I, I would like to see a broadcast that's more geared toward um, taking a little bit more serious, especially at Talladega, where, um, let's be honest, I mean, someone could die, and you know, let's let's, you know, they're they're going to go out and get in big wrecks. Um, let's talk about the danger and what these guys are going through and things like that, and stick to talking about the racing. Um, I, I think I, I would just prefer that. I, I also think that TV at times gets too cutesy with the in-car cameras and the low cameras on the front of the nose and things like that. You know, show us the race. Show us the overhead shot like they do at a horse race. Um, there's no, 
you're not watching a horse race from the nose cam of, of the horse or the jockey the whole time. I mean, you know, show the overhead shot, the helicopter shot, the blimp shot, and you can really see where the cars are moving and who's getting runs. I think that's the fascinating stuff to watch. Um, you know, don't miss lead changes. You know, there was a time today when Fox had uh, was doing a crank it up. Logano took the lead and they missed it because they were doing the crank it up stuff and showing the in-car cameras and the, the rear view cameras and stuff. And it's just like, man, like show us the show us what's happening. It's frustrating enough to see the commercials. And then when you're actually watching the race action, you don't even get to see it or see what's happening. Or you get confused about what's going on. It's just it's just frustrating. I think there there's a lot that could be in, improved. However, I do like a lot about what Fox does as well. I think Larry Mack is really awesome and underrated. Um, he had that great stat today, and it didn't come true ultimately about when the last caution is. I don't think people realize how much Larry Mack goes back and looks at uh, older races and looks for trends and things like that, and that's not being fed to him by some stats guy. He's really going back and doing that, and it's a shame he's sort of been pushed to the side. And you know, DW, who doesn't seem to have uh, opinions that are as relevant, gets you know to, to talk up there with Gordon and, and Larry Mack is is called upon just sparingly now. Um, uh, hopefully that will that will change someday. I think that's not you know NASCAR has uh, plenty of issues to deal with in general, but I do think that the broadcast is a big one of them, especially with the commercials. I think that that's something that definitely needs to be addressed. Brian Culliter asks, will this plate slash arrow package be the same when they show up for a playoff race this fall? I, I do think it will be. Um, I guess at this point, I would be sort of surprised if they changed it. And I guess um, one thing I don't think I touched on earlier was that I think the reason NASCAR changed it, if I'm not mistaken, was to make it more uh, a consistent package with the rest of the races. So before you had um, the no ride height rule in effect at a downforce race, but you didn't have it at plate track. So now they want it to be the same for everywhere. And so I don't think they're going to say, okay, suddenly you can go back to do ride heights or things like that. Um, maybe they'll change the plate and slow them down a little bit because it seemed to um, not make for the best racing. You know, you might see that July at Daytona, but um, you know, I, I wouldn't count on it. I, I think NASCAR would tend in this situation to see if they can, if the teams can figure out how to make the racing better themselves. I think that's what happened with the, the previous restrictor plate package. And, um, you know, I, I just don't see it changing at this point. All right, everybody. So um, each week I ask my co-host on the podcast to predict the was it a good race poll percentage. Last week I defeated Matt Weaver because he picked way too low for the Richmond race, even though I tried to talk him out of it. Uh, I, I won that one. So I have a one race streak, I think. Maybe two. Maybe two. I can't remember. But uh, anyway, since I don't have a co-host this week, I'm going to turn to my wife, Sarah Gluck. Sarah, how are you? I'm good. Sarah, you watched at least some of the race, although you may have been napping during part of it. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. Thank you. And um, so, Sarah, uh, based off your judgment of the parts of the race that you watched, what is going to be your guess for the yes percentage for the was it a good race poll when I ask people tomorrow? I'm going to go with 63%. 63%. And why, why are you going with 63%? Because the race wasn't that great from what I saw. Okay. Do you have any other reasons? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay. So you didn't think the race was that great from what you saw. It caused you to take somewhat of a nap. And so you're saying 63%. 
yes, I just didn't find it to be that exciting, but that's just my opinion. Okay, well, your opinion is what I was going for. So, um, so you said 63%, and based off some of the Twitter reaction I was seeing and the fact that it wasn't a typically good race, oh, this is tough, this is tough. Um, I'm going to go 59%. 59%. I think that a lot of people might think that wasn't the best Talladega race just based on um, there wasn't enough passing or there wasn't enough side-by-side racing and the end was sort of anticlimactic. So that's that's what I'll go for. So thank you so much for those who submitted their questions this week. Uh, sorry I didn't have a co-host, but as I said, I was at a wedding. It's the best man. Gave a nervous speech. So... Um, wasn't able to do that or be at the race. and uh, But don't worry, I will be back next week at Dover International Speedway where I will get another media member to do the podcast with me. In the meantime, coming up on Tuesday is a 12 questions with Jimmy Johnson. And then Thursday is a how I got here with IndyCar race director Kyle Novak. So that's kind of an interesting one. See how he got to his role and it's his first year doing that. So interesting path for him. Again, thank you so much as always for listening, and I will talk to you next time on the Untitled Jeff Buck Podcast.